Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, my I4CP colleagues, Nina Holtzberry and Eric Davis, along with Jackie Robertson, chair of I4CP CDO board and chief diversity and inclusion officer at the Cleveland Clinic, together had a great conversation with Geraldine White, Chief Diversity Officer at Publicis Group USA. Together, they discussed the latest research from I4CP and the Age-Friendly Institute on attracting, engaging, and retaining older workers, as well as how employers can be more intentional about the experiences of older workers, the nuances of managing a global, multi-generational workforce, and how Publicis has incorporated age into its broader DEI strategy. But before we get to that, did you know that in addition to being a human capital research firm, I4CP also has an executive search practice that specializes in recruiting diverse and high-performing human capital leaders. We help our clients, whether I4CP members or not, to successfully build their human capital leadership teams through effective placement of chief people officers, as well as leaders of diversity and inclusion, talent acquisition, learning and development, total rewards, and their people analytics functions. To learn more, just visit i4cp.com forward slash executive search. Okay, now for that discussion with Geraldine White, Chief Diversity Officer at Publicis Group US. I am so excited to be here today. We have a wonderful speaker, uh, Geraldine Wright. She's our guest for today. Um, and so Geraldine, you know, first of all, just thank you for taking the time to join us. For those of you who don't know, Excuse me, Geraldine White is the Chief Diversity Officer for the Publicis Group, um, and she is also a new member of the I4CP Chief Diversity Officer Board. So first and foremost, Geraldine, welcome. We're delighted to have you today. Jackie, thank you so much. Uh, happy to be here and enter into this conversation and share this space with you. Absolutely. So one of the things we like for this audience to be able to do, Geraldine, is get to know our speakers a little better. And when I think about universal language, no matter where you're from, um, I think of two things. I think of music and I think of food. So we probably won't be talking much about food today, uh, unless you want to, um, but certainly want to talk about the song that you chose. So Toast by Coffee. It certainly jazzed me up um, first thing uh, during the, the beginning of this call. So tell us a little bit about why that song resonates with you. Why did you choose that for today? Sure. So first of all, it absolutely is a, a mood lifter. And I, I did see you, I did see you moving to the music and that that, that in and of itself brought me joy. Um, I think the song itself is really focused on on gratitude, particularly in the face of of adversity. Um, I will say that doing this work, there there absolutely is 
um, there's weight that comes with it. You know, you're you're navigating, meeting people where they are, um, dealing consistently with the face of adversity, and the work is challenging in very meaningful ways. But you still have to always sort of maintain um, a perspective of staying centralized. For for me, um, it's I find it beneficial in sort of staying in that sort of spirit of of gratitude and remaining centered. Um, for me, I think it's a it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to have this level of, of impact and engagement and talent and the opportunity to even meet people where they are on their journey is a, is a gift. So um, that's really what the song symbolizes to me. It's that reminder. I love it. I appreciate that. And um, one of the things I do want to talk about is some of the impact that you're having in your organization, especially as it work, as it relates to this study around older workers. Um, so we're going to get into that in, in just a minute. But First, let's familiarize this audience with publicist group. Like, who are you? Um, I, I think a lot of our members probably are familiar with some of the name brands under publicist groups, but can you tell us a little bit more about the company and what you do? Uh, happy to. So Publicis Group was initially founded in 1926. It's a French-based organization, and today it exists as the what is now the second largest communications group in the world. Um, our agencies uh, within Publicis Group are everything from media to creative to digital, um, health in the advertising industry, as well as management consulting firms like Sapient and Epsilon. Um, so when you think of the Leo Burnett's and the, the Sachis of the world, those are all part of, of the Publicis Group network. Um, we really were, were organized into solution hubs really to facilitate greater connectivity across communications, uh, media, as well as the consulting models. And we really realizing that we live in a digital first world, uh, create platforms and greater connectivity um, for talent and for our consumers and clients. Appreciate that. Thank you for that um, additional description. And, you know, I don't like to make any assumptions where, you know, many of us on this call today work in the capacity of chief diversity officers, but I don't want to make the assumption that we all do the same things. Although what you said definitely resonates and I think that we all carry a lot of weight. Um, and I, I loved your statement around making sure that we continue to feel gratitude and continue to remain centered, because this is no easy work that we do. But I'd like to better understand what are your responsibilities? What are some of the key things that you're you're taking on at Publicis as a chief diversity officer? Thank you for asking that. I, I, I always have a certain amount of respect and um, try to give a lift to CDOs, no matter what function capacity they're operating in, because I think that they're, they're shared challenges. But for me specifically at Publicis Group, I lead the organization's um, efforts toward really towards having a more inclusive climate uh, as an organization. So we have a centralized practice, our talent engagement and inclusion team that drives these efforts. Um, that's the team that I lead and it's everything from our policies, our practices, our systems and tools, really how we um, foster belonging for all talent identities and create that, that, that sense of, of belonging amidst long-term systemic change. Um, our, our work really focuses on not just our landscape of business resource groups, but what are the things that we can do to real, realizing that none of these conversations are new about really creating greater um, equity and, and what the experiences of talent are in the day-to-day, -day, but how are we bringing the same things that we bring to our clients in terms of change management, governance, systems thinking, um, mm -hmm. in application to, to this work to really move the needle. Appreciate that. Thank you. 
So some of you might be familiar with the I4CP research that Nina referred to early on. And, and I know that you actually had a conversation, Geraldine, with Carol Morrison, who um, has actually led some of this research on older workers. And so for those of you on the call who are not familiar with it, this was a study conducted in partnership with the Age-Friendly Institute. And that's an organization that certifies employers who are committed to being the best places to work for individuals age 50 plus. <clears throat> and when you think about what the global shortage is gonna be like in terms of talent by the year 2030, I was so impressed to hear that Publicis is intentional about their work on this and around multi-generational um, focus and that focus on belonging. So talk a little bit about the age-friendly employer certification. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's this exclusive thing, credential, or you know, how do you earn it? But talk a little bit about that, familiarize us with it. I, I understand only 4% um, of organizations surveyed have actually pursued it. So I think, Geraldine, you might be on the leading edge of something that we certainly on this call wanna know more about. So tell us a little bit more about the certification, what goes into it, talk to us. Uh, absolutely. So. Um, it, even in leaning a bit first into your, your last question about the, the breadth of this, in truly creating an inclusive uh, organizational climate, you have to really meet the needs of, of all talent identities. You have to have a focus on, on intersectionality. Whatever your, um, your particular ideals or your goals that you set out for, you still have to deal with things that impact the, a number of our industries in terms of power structures, really trying to navigate a multi-generational um, workforce and creating that ongoing connectivity and what the experience through the talent life cycle of talent is. At the same time that you're you're managing sort of this constant onslaught of things that are outside of your organizational locus of control, so to speak, when you think about the pandemic, when you think about societal impacts of, of ongoing violence against communities and, and really being able to sort of navigate all of those things at the same time. And so as we look at meeting the needs of, of talent, one of the areas, to your point, that really not a lot of organizations have um, really focused on this area, having the focus for older workers, more experienced workers um, in our in our industry and in our organization is extremely important. Um, mm -hmm. And the the notion of ageism, whether it is for um, for junior talent or no matter what career or life stage you're, you're in, mm -hmm. is something that we have to really be cautious about. You know, our our work ultimately, no matter what identity we're talking about, is is to mirror the market. Um, in terms of who the consumer is. And so in that focus, we had to have a, a, also a concerted effort in terms of how we were looking at individuals who are 50 plus in our organization. This does fall into our BRG landscape uh, as well. So all of this work and the gaining the certification is done in direct partnership with our SAGES BRG that focuses on talent in the organization that are 45 plus. Um, and so our BRGs truly are BRGs and that they have a business focus and are, are funded by the talent engagement and inclusion team. And this becomes part of the work that we do with SAGES in terms of what are the policies and things we need to, just, need to do to support talent. And by virtue of that is how we were able to get the certification. I love the fact that you have a BRG <clears throat> focused on this as well. Um, 
And, and when I think about, so I have to make this comment. When I think about older workers, I just want to say older is always relative and it's at least 20 years older than you are. So, you know, <laughs> Carol, I know you did the research on this, but 50 plus somehow just doesn't seem like older. Um, but, but talk to us a little bit, Geraldine, around how do you get this certification? I mean, did you leverage your BRG group stages to do that? Did you lead that? How how do you get this certification for any organizations that might be interested in, in going down that same path? For us, it's done in partnership with, with SAGES. SAGES as a BRG helps absolutely with the insights from, from talent in terms of how do we best meet the needs um, of talent across any number of identities and SAGES in particular is, is for those who are 45 plus in the organization. So the insights and understanding of what the ongoing needs, what the challenges might be, um, things that might come up around, how are we sort of um, dispelling any sort of encouragement about individuals raising their hands to say like, hey, I think I might want to retire or how are we offering mobility. We look closely at the things that we already have as an organization. For example, we have a, a proprietary platform called Marcel that really focuses on connectivity across the organization. Leveraged it at the top of COVID to save a lot of jobs um, because we were able to do job postings for individuals and create greater connectivity across our brands in every part of the organization to offer up roles for individuals who might have otherwise had to um, be let go from the organization. So with that same tool set, we're always looking at how does this apply to other aspects of the organization and mobility is one of them. Mm. Being able to, if someone says like, hey, I'm, I'm ready for my, my next act, I won't call it second or third or, but I wanna do something different. Maybe I'm not ready to retire. Maybe I wanna do something part-time. It's leveraging those same platforms and what we have available to talent to, to support um, even what comes up from an identity or life stage basis. I think that's brilliant. I think it's brilliant that you are really leading edge on this curve. I mean, the fact that only 4% of the organizations surveyed have really pursued this, um, I think you're really onto something. Um, so tell us about any particular um, business goals or objectives um, other than I think a stronger retention of talent that you had in mind when you first partnered with the um, Age-Friendly Institute. So it definitely leans into all those things. I think beyond, beyond it being a helpful measure in and of itself, it, it absolutely helps us to really demonstrate our, our commitment to greater inclusion and, and equity. And I think uh, in, in particular, since 2020, there's been such amazing focus specifically on certain aspects of, of the, the DE&I landscape, but you, you can't focus on any one thing without focusing on all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, really this this sort of being, not, not looking at this as sort of an edge case. I mean, the truth of the matter is that if we, as we look at this landscape globally, like all of us are, are heading towards, um, if we're not already past it, speaking from, from my, myself in <laughs> this conversation, my oldest, is, my oldest child is 28 years old. Um, so, I, we are all, this is all a conversation that everyone needs to have. Mm -hmm. And about the things that impact everyone, conversations around, around aging or getting older, um, as well as mental health and wellness, they're all very, very connected. Um, so I think an additional measure is that our clients are, are also interested in holding us accountable. Um, and in terms of how we show up, how we 
um, mirror the market. And I think one of the great things about Sages in particular and in our partnership, the policies that we're able to look at developing or launching, it definitely helps us in our overarching strategy, which is how does this work show up in our organization uh, to begin with, but also in the marketplace and in what we call our workplace to marketplace approach. I love it. And I love the integrated approach that you're focused on. You're absolutely right. It, it doesn't just affect one pillar, it affects all of them um, across the organization. So I'm going to open this up for questions in a minute, Geraldine. I have one more question for you before we open it up for questions. And, and also just one thing I want the audience to start thinking about, and <clears throat> please feel free to come off chat and comment on anything that you all might be doing with regard to multi-generational multi talent that focus specifically as it has to do with creating a greater sense of belonging for your talent. So those of you on the call, I certainly wanna make sure that you're, you're thinking about this question. And Geraldine, I have one more question for you before we open it up. Sure. I'm, I'm curious about what kinds of reactions you got from leaders in your organization when you pitched this whole certification process. Um, and then also, what do your employees think about it? So we, we actually have continued to get uh, a lot of positive reaction and engagement from our, our leaders, which is necessary in sort of that leadership role modeling um, in, in order to really see change in the organization. You know, at, at Publicis Group, since its inception, the model has been viva la difference, which means our, our differences are what make us better and stronger and more impactful. So looking at the notion of having a multi-generational workforce and where there might be differences of perspective and layering and experience, et, et, et cetera, and that intersectional uh, perspective, really leadership saw as a part of that. Um, talent has also responded very favorably to it. I know that some, some organizations will have something based uh, BRD or ERG focused on life stage and maybe it is specifically multi-generational. We have found that we have a landscape of 16 BRGs, Sages is one of them, um, but we developed a cross BRG leadership council so that the leads of all of the BRGs come together to be able to collaborate. And so we can have very intersectional conversations. So in wow. when we're looking at uh, Women's History Month, that conversation isn't void of, of, of women who are trans um, mm -hmm. and, and talking about all women. So when we're talking about the experience in the workplace, mm -hmm. BRG with the Sages BRG, as well as our Gen Next BRG, which is um, for more entry, entry level and or younger um, talent, um, that conversation in terms of the similarities, learnings and things that can happen and really how we um, achieve greater collaboration all becomes a part of the conversation. That is brilliant. So I love the fact that you had such an incredible response from leadership. I also love the fact that you leverage all of the BRGs, the, the heads of those BRGs to have conversations, for example, on women. I mean, what powerful perspectives can come from trans groups, military groups, et cetera. So um, absolutely brilliant. At this point, I wanna pause for any questions that have come up in the chat, Nina. Um, absolutely. Well, I you're definitely getting a lot up. of admiration in the chat, Geraldine. A lot of people are very, very impressed by your work. I've got two questions to share out from, for you. So the first one is from Robert Oppenmeyer. Um, he's wondering how y'all engage a worker who has great skills and is ready to reduce responsibility and time worked. Do you have a plan around something like that? 
Yeah, we're, we're actually partnering with Sages on some policy development that we're looking to launch later this year that is specifically around that. Um, really being able to engage. So on the Marcel platform, I mentioned everyone has a has a profile um, where you're able to share your skill sets, your interests. You're able to reach out to anyone across the globe and be able to start a conversation on a topic you're interested about. Um, Marcel also has a tremendous amount of learning opportunities. So if you wanted to learn, if you're a content strategist and you wanted to learn more about social strategy around program management, that's always open to you to do on your own. And then as we engage with our, our, our managers, you know, one of the things that we're also focusing on and we'll be launching this year is uh, inclusive manager um, as, as coursework. We have absolutely already instituted things like a three-part disrupting everyday bias series and inclusive hiring and inclusive recruiting. But this builds on, on that so that managers are really understanding how to support talent on an identity basis. Um, I think we, when we, we look at um, still the landscape of managers to today, managers often become managers because they're good at their craft, not because they're good at managing people and certainly not experts in navigating identity-based psychological safety, um, especially in hybrid working environments. So how are we supporting those managers? And part of that means listening and understanding talent in their needs to maybe shift and have mobility in the organization and what they're able to, to continue to, to contribute, no matter um, what the rationale is for the change that they might be seeking to make. That's great. And it sounds like a really comprehensive platform for just keeping everyone engaged um, along similar lines there. Um, and maybe this is the same program, but maybe you kind of go beyond this is what practices have you observed for capturing the wisdom of older workers who have had more successes and more failures throughout their careers? And that question is coming from Steve Sosland. I, I, I appreciate that question so much because uh, again, it's, um, it's the mix. I only I only regret that um, sort of my my partner in in this the one of the sages leads um, Elizabeth Harris wasn't had a conflict and wasn't able to be here um, today because this is absolutely all done in, in partnership. I will say first and foremost, it sounds like the most simple thing, but it is it is listening, but listening with the intent to both understand and act. Um, so even the insights around the policy development that we're, we're working towards for the end of this year came from exactly that, the insight that um, some talent felt like, you know, I'm not sure if I want to raise my hand to say that I'm looking to retire or I want a change for fear of any, any stigma or that maybe they would then be discounted as though they don't want to be here anymore, et cetera. So how do you a, have leaders, their teams, et cetera, understand like what, what does support for an individual who's making any sort of career shift or decision uh, look like. And so we can definitely have conversations about it. We can do panels, but policies over panels uh, all day long. <laughs> um, and so it's it's that sort of listening and, and collaboration um, that sort of begets our ability to, to act accordingly. Mm. Um, and I know that you've recently joined our CDO board here at I4CP, and so maybe from your own experience and what you're hearing on that board, um, we have a question from Laura Kionis um, on what do you see as the biggest challenge for chief diversity officers in the coming 12 months, and how are you addressing that within your own organization? Uh, I think it's it's continuing to navigate uncertainty. Um, mm -hmm. We, uh, you know, I, again, if for anyone who has like a, any technology background, there's there's no P1s and P2s in this <laughs> in terms of uh, the like the prioritization. It, it absolutely 
all matters and has to be um, incorporated into your, your ongoing strategy. Um, I, and there is the, the notion that it's obviously never all going to be perfect. But I, I think one thing that I continue to, to, to flag for organizations, um, and I think particularly in, in the industry of sort of advertising, marketing, et, et cetera, one of the toughest things about doing this work in, in this industry is navigating around a campaign mindset. And anyone who touches marketing in any way, um, I'm sure understands that in that in the work that we do, um, the narratives that we build, um, it's not always going to be a good story. And there has to be a lot of truth, trust, and transparency within your organization to figure out where those gaps are and how you collectively address them. One of those things I, I continue to call the representation retention paradox. Um, and so whether it is older workers or women or people of color, um, organizations who are over-focused on a number, I mean, in everything that we do, it's results-based, no matter what industry you're in. So people often ask the CDO, what does good look like? And they reflect this good looking like a, a number or a quota, which is actually illegal in the US. But getting to that number doesn't necessarily address the experiences of talent. In fact, it can exacerbate the negative nature of experiences of, of, of talent in the organization. And then you can do irreparable brand damage. You will have um, bad experiences of talent. It will end up in litigation even, which is not a formidable business strategy. Um, so it really is sort of paying attention to those things. But I think the biggest challenge is dealing with it all at once. Um, in any given month, you can have a number of um, heritage month celebrations and, and also continued uh, impact across a multitude of communities. So I think the last thing I'll flag is as we look at future of work and return to office, we have to be extremely mindful of not losing some of the things, the benefits that we've gained during COVID, maybe around accessibility or even share of share of voice. I've seen more quote unquote introverted personalities in this space win during this time because you can you can take your microphone off mute. But in a in a room, it might be a lot more difficult for you to do and you you sort of exist in this more in, invisible space and um, Potential is very subjective. <laughs> so how we navigate an inclusive future of work, um, revisiting real estate, where do we have gender neutral bathrooms? Where do we have wellness spaces? How are we leveraging technology to, to make sure that we're really meeting the needs of talent and continuing to recognize that whether it's parents or caregivers um, or members of the, the Jewish, Asian, Black community who still um, experience violence in, in especially larger metro areas and public transportation, how are you meeting the needs of talent? I've heard from a tremendous amount of women throughout the organization who have said, you know what, menopause at home has been great, thanks. Um, and that needs to be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's the, the, dif the difficulty and the struggle is navigating it all at, all at once. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the quote that you shared that potential subjective is going to stick with me and I'm sure with many of the people on this call. Um, we are continuing to have questions flood in. Jackie, do you want to jump back into questions and save some of these chat questions for later or should we continue? No, let's let's continue. I only have a couple of more questions that I'm going to ask and then I really want this audience to understand more around this older workers study. Um, and Eric is going to take us through that. So by all means, this is this is about our audience. So let's take their questions first. 
Fantastic. And Geraldine, you're just keeping the chat um, very lively. I think everything that you're sharing just launches a new set of questions. Um, from Mariana Mancini, she had a question about how you're navigating restructuring that targets cost reduction without disproportionately affecting older workers. So this becomes really individual conversation. We have about 34 brands, um, different, and when I say brands, I mean different, different agency brands um, across the organization. Everyone's at a different uh, part of their journey um, across, across the ENI and, and every aspect of it. But leveraging the, the data that we have, um, building towards really robust uh, dashboards that can look at things like time and title, tenure, supervisor hierarchy, um, and really being able to have the conversation with every part of their organization in terms of its specific contribution um, has, been, is, has been and continues to be really important. Um, I, this, this conversation oftentimes has rested um, histor historically with the CTOs. CTOs are extremely important partners in this, but this is this is not just a CTO conversation. It's a CEO conversation, and really having that CMO conversation. It's a chief creative officer conversation. It's a chief financial officer conversation. It's really em em embracing the opportunity to have difficult conversations with leaders and how they're showing up. If a tough decision needs to be made, you absolutely have to pay attention to the, the impact. Um, we, we also have a, um, a group global goal of 45% women in leadership, for example, by 2025. Um, and so oftentimes when people might, uh, organizations might have to make tough decisions and you're looking at cuts, you're looking at the more quote unquote big ticket um, salaries or individuals who that comes along with individuals who might be further along in, in career stage. And there is an overlap at times with that um, in terms of life stages as well. So if you're not paying attention to that impact, you absolutely are going to have that adverse um, effect and what you what you lose um, in that short term in terms of the damage you're doing financially long term, you're just really backloading risk. Thank you. Um, and then just a question coming in from, it sounds like one of our global members who's calling in from the Czech Republic. This is around different countries having different retirement ages. So in the Czech Republic, they have a fixed retirement age at 65. They're raising that to 68. Um, but employability and also that perception of contribution after 60 is often viewed with concern and apprehension. And Philip is suggesting that sometimes it's bias, sometimes that has real base. And we're wondering what your thoughts on that were, if you had any additional insights. Yeah. Um, so Publicis Group operating as a, a global organization, what we've what we've done is it's it's difficult to have a a global um, DEI strategy. Our strategy globally really does fall into back to that notion of vivre la difference and our, that our differences make us stronger. But what we've done is we have DEI leads embedded in different regions, specifically with respect to that regional nuance, so that you can have a greater focus on what the sort of legislation and landscape is in that particular region. I think as things continue to, to, to shift, along those age groups, you know, we right now, like the study itself talks about individuals who are like 50 or 55, our BRG is for those who are 45. It's really how you're in, engaging, I think, people and insights 
um, and how you're going to respond to it within your organization even earlier in the conversation and sort of planning accordingly, being more proactive around what those landscapes look like. You know, Carol from our research team had a follow-up question. Carol, did you want to come off of mute to just share a little bit more on that? Thanks, um, Nina. I appreciate it. And hi, Geraldine. It's a pleasure um, to listen to your wisdom today. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I, I was uh, just adding on a bit to the, the preceding question. And you know, Publicis Group is such an enormous global presence. You know, have, I, I guess first, um, what are the changing perspectives across that, that footprint about older workers? Is it kind of difficult to, for you to, um, I don't know, make some sort of a cohesive whole out of what you're doing in that area? And, and you know, how, how much does that global structure complicate what you're trying to do here? Yeah, but by virtue of having the the DEI leads uh, embedded in the different regions, it, it really combats that because then we come together as part of a global DEI council to bring our varied perspectives, but also um, still maintain respect to those those nuances. Um, I think when it when it comes to um, aging and looking at older workers, again, aging is something that is is universal in that way. So when we look at things like this subject matter or or how we navigate gender, even though there are, are nuances, it has to still be a part of that that global com conversation and, and the things that we um, connect on, even though it varies region by region. Um, it, there is a, a significant amount of, of complexity, which I think the appreciation for that is why we will continue to operate that way, um, because there is no copy paste for any of this. Um, the strategies and things that we might employ in the, the, the US, if we look at our, our partners in, in even Latin or, or in MENA, um, it, it's not going to necessarily play out the same way. So what we can do though is talk about the shared experience of the talent experience and how talent are feeling about their experience based on their identity in the organization and what belonging actually looks like and how we address it. Thank you for that. If I could just do one quick follow-up question. Can you talk a little bit about how the idea of intersectionality fits into that? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, intersectionality in and of itself, and sometimes I think it can it can be misconstrued. We actually also have um, products uh, within our organization. There's one in particular called Hyphen um, that comes out of one of our organizations called the Community, and it it really focuses on all of the layers of who you are and how you show up as, as an individual. Um, initially, it's, it was designed to be leveraged for, um, for looking at consumers and how to reach consumers, but there also is a tremendous amount of benefit in terms of individuals as, as, as talent and, and how you show up. Different, um, different identities in their layers have different experiences. And we recently um, were working through with a specific client in um, an oncology campaign. And we did um, some sessions. There was one in particular, um, Pharrell Williams had what's called the Mighty Dream Forum uh, in Virginia. And it was really about how you 
focus on the, the, the differences of inequities in, in healthcare. So oncology um, and women's health is obviously an ongoing conversation, but this one was very specific to the Black community. Um, and with this oncology campaign, the focus was really on letting women know that if you see certain signs at post-menopause, that it really is a sign of something serious. And how do you actually um, move women to go to the doctor and, and not ignore it. But in that conversation in and of itself, it what really unraveled is sort of the um, the, the identity-based discrepancies in healthcare. So you're, yes, you're talking to um, women who are, are older and, and, and postmenopausal, but the notion of healthcare inequity for Black women and how it shows up and the believability of certain things or whether it's even written off by a medical professional, unfortunately, like you have to have those additional layers of the conversation in order to really address the needs. Thanks so much. Right. At this point, I am really excited for you all to hear more about this um, older workers study findings. So I'm going to ask Eric to jump in and tell us a little bit more about that. So um, Eric, at this point, I'm going to pass it to you. Audience, continue to keep your questions coming. Um, this has been a, a, a wonderful dialogue. So Eric, I'm going to pass it to you at this point <clears throat> so you can tell us a little bit more about this, this study's findings. All right. Thank you, Jackie. Hello, everyone. Uh, if we can slip. Yeah, slide 10. Um, and so this survey was headed up by my excellent colleague and I4CP senior research analyst, Carol Morrison, who we just heard from. And Carol, please feel free to come off mute and uh, help me with this as I go through the description if I get anything wrong. Um, but uh, one of the unique things about this survey is that it can, or this study is that it consisted of two surveys, uh, one that went out to employers asking about the practices and perceptions of older workers, and one that went out to a group of 50 plus workers who shared their current status and lived experiences in the workplace. Um, this allowed us to gather both perspectives and examine the gaps between those two groups on several of the key questions that we asked. Um, now, one of the key findings from the survey that I wanted to share was based on this question, and that's that opportunities older workers offer and the risk of ignoring them are too often overlooked. Uh, so while many reporters purport to be age-friendly for workers, uh, in practice, um, there's not really as many out there that are doing the actual practices to support that group. Um, we see that only 6% have ERG, BRGs for employees 50 plus, only 29% provide education and training to eliminate workforce discrimination. I found rather shockingly on, on this uh, graph that we're seeing here that uh, knowledge transfer, pro transfer program mechanisms to capture the know-how know of older workers, we only had 21% of organizations that are doing that. I think that, uh, uh, Steve Sussland's that kind of goes back to what he was asking earlier a little bit about knowledge transfer. Um, Carol, did you have anything from this particular slide that you like to highlight? Yeah, I think I think you've just just mentioned it. You know that that knowledge transfer program. Yes, we need older workers to be actively involved in that, but. 
it is a real business risk for organizations that don't take the initiative to set that up so that they do capture um, capture that knowledge and know-how. I think the other thing on here speaks to what Jackie mentioned early on um, about what an elite credential, the, um, the age-friendly employer designation is. Geraldine will back up the fact that it's a very involved process that requires some really intense self-examination by organizations. But, um, but those that do that, um, like publicist groups, certainly um, recognize the benefit of, of having a workforce that does mirror their customers. And, and this is a, a great way to, um, to really affirm um, the value of the older workforce as well. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, and, and I think you and I both know and have talked before um, that just looking at the demographics globally, um, I know there's some countries that trend younger in Asia and Latin America, but in general, we're seeing that there's an older population and older workforce out there, and there's just going to be less workers in the future to choose from as a talent pool. And that engaging older workers and keeping them in the workforce longer kind of needs to be one of your strategies uh, when you're doing your workforce planning. Yeah. All right, so I see we've got a few other great questions in chat. I don't know if we wanna go back to those now or uh, Jackie, if you sure. had some. Um, so I, one of the things that I was thinking about, <clears throat> Eric and Geraldine, you can both comment on this, is, you know, it becomes clear that the, the organizations that are focused on older workers are going to need to um, be able to balance the expense of older workers. And one of the things, one of the products that we offer is a long-term care product. And it's a mobile product, so you can take it with you when you retire. But when you think about it, it absolutely defrays some of the expenses associated with, you know, I think what someone alluded to is, you know, what if someone gets Alzheimer's or dementia, right? I mean, that's expensive. But if you have a product um, that is offered as a benefit by the company, such as this long-term care model, that can help defray some of the costs. And so... Um, I hear you, Geraldine, talking a lot about, um, you know, making sure that there is a focus on well-being um, with with older workers. So I'm, I'm I'm curious about does your organization look at specific benefit offerings around multi generations, and if so, what do those look like? It, it absolutely has to be in partnership with our our benefits partners. Um, as well. So there is the, 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 the constant sort of audit and looking at whether there's our offering from Blue Cross Blue Shield or some of the things that you're talking about in terms of like longer term care. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, um, Alzheimer's and, and dementia, I do feel like that is a clear area of opportunity for organizations, ours included, to be able to start to 
to navigate because the the care that's necessary when someone starts experiencing we did sort of a a memory uh, cafe session with the sages brg recently and it just even creating the space for people to be able to say like hey i feel like this is something that's happening to me more frequently than i'm comfortable with um etc for, for me firsthand i'm um also a caregiver for my mom who has a, um, advanced louis body dementia she's actually in, in the hospice stage of that now but seeing that um, sort of transition for even her when it um, when she initially decided to retire, um, coming out of a, a, a long career of creating restorative justice programs for youth, um, it was it was changing for her in many ways in terms of who she was and her identity and how she even showed up. And so when we see that and we don't necessarily have the the space for talent to to share that, um, I think that that's definitely, I just wanted to pause for that for a moment, I think that's a clear opportunity. When we talk about the costs um, though in particular, I think there, there, is, there, there is and there can be some um, correlation in terms of costs and, and some of it is just a, also a perception. I mean, if you look at mm -hmm. also the, the loss of, of that, that knowledge um, as well as still the, the costs that come along with the hiring process, it, it actually isn't as significant as I think we, we may think it is in terms of a cost risk. Yeah, I appreciate that. that that's what I was gonna bring up. Carol and I have discussed before how that sort of offsets, just the knowledge and experience of older workers can offset the perceived cost that's out there. Mm -hmm. And and I think there was a question that came through chat and I briefly saw it, but how do you reconcile folks that are climbing in their careers with the perception that older workers are blocking their climb? How do you reconcile those two perspectives? Um, I, I, there's, so there's a lot of divisive perspectives to be had in this work <laughs> um, in general, and that can definitely be, be one of them. And I, I think it goes hand in hand with also understanding and, and bringing in the, the perspectives of more junior level or younger talent, right? There has to be that sort of um, collaborative nature. And I think that's one of the reasons that the cross BRG uh, capacity that panel um, of leaders coming together is it's been really important in terms of how do we break down some of those barriers. Um, I think conversely, I have actually seen um, individuals who are further along in their careers feeling pushed out, um, particularly in the advertising and, and, and marketing industry. The landscape has, um, I think, certainly changed um, from, uh, from an age demographic standpoint. If you look at the things that were even showcased more typically in terms of like Mad Men or something like that, the, the, the landscape of who was in the room has absolutely changed. Um, so I, I think it really comes down to having the conversation, but also back to the data. And we have to keep ourselves honest and look at career trajectory and what cadence are we promoting individuals at and how are we also providing the opportunity for new um, new career opportunities. So someone who um, has a very senior title, if they're, if they're deciding that they want to sort of start over in a different capacity or take up a different career, and we hope that's with the organization, uh, I, I think one of the things is really making sure that we are not um, missing out on the fact that you could be older in your life stage and still have a junior career title as well. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. And, and how do you market this? So for example, I know that, you know, we can't discriminate based on age and, and a host of other factors, but 
Do you proactively include some of the benefits in your DEI statements of, in, of including age um, as part of those statements? How do you proactively do that, or do you nuance it and focus on multi generations? Like, how do you do that? We focus more on, we have an entire inclusive benefits track, like we have an uh, inclusive uh, future of work track as well. Um, and that inclusive benefits track really focuses on how are we fostering belonging for all talent through our benefits. And we um, meet with our, our benefits talent partners and, and legal team um, throughout the year to make sure that we are, we are always optimizing what the landscape of that looks like. And again, this is done in partnership with our, our BRGs, our Egalitate BRG, for example, that supports our LGBTQIA plus talent across the organization. Um, we worked in partnership with the Egalite to create transition benefits um, and policies, which is one of the reasons why we continue to get a score of 100 on the HRC Corporate Equality Index. Um, wow. Without that, we wouldn't necessarily be able to, to achieve that. So it has to be done in partnership with the talent. Wow. Okay. So at this point, Nina, I'm gonna open it up for any additional questions that have come through on the chat. I have a couple of more questions to wrap up with Geraldine, but certainly wanna check the audience and see if we have any other questions or comments. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely have a lot of comments coming through and hopefully we'll see some connections come out of this call. I know a lot of people are eager to share some of the best practices that they're seeing. Um, one of the questions I did want to surface through um, was kind of balancing the, the difference between having countries or populations where there are large youth populations um, and how do you balance that with keeping folks that are in that older age bracket? Um, how are you gonna balance those competing interests for career development? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it still goes back to the, the connected conversation and that knowledge transfer and having that knowledge transfer happen in a multitude of ways. Um, you, you certainly cannot overlook the experience gained um, and the wisdom um, and discernment that comes from individuals who have um, longer standing careers, as well as the, the benefits of new insights and strategies. You know, again, focused on our, our industry, the, the ways in which we need to be particular about mirroring the consumer market. Um, the same talent that we have in our organization need to be the individuals in the reflection of the market who are pouring into the work so that we're also connecting in salient ways with, um, with, with the consumer and really doing the best work for our clients. I will say that when it when it comes to how we're showing up in the the business, this is one one area we recently had. Um, when we think about the workplace to marketplace strategy, we recently had some insights that came from um, the the BRG in regards to just marketing in general. So, how are certain certain I won't name the client, but how are certain clients looking at um, the 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 targeting in in a meaningful way? of individuals based on life stages and changes. Um, so if your hair texture is changing or your skin texture is changing, how are you leveraging the actual insights um, of, of individuals to be able to really address that? And when we're doing work for clients, the BRGs can also step in given their identity and share those insights real time as we're developing products and initiatives, um, media um, to, to be able to show up the right way. 
Thank you, Geraldine. And Jackie, I know you have a couple questions and we only have a few more minutes left. So thanks again to the audience for sharing so many incredible questions and thoughts today in the chat. We're really grateful to have you all here and for you to share your thoughts and opinions. Absolutely. And, and Geraldine, I have one closing question for you. And by the way, this has just been delightful. I just want to say, first of all, thank you for coming as a guest speaker today to share your insights and just how you're leading the way in regard to this. And so my, my question for you is, what's the one lesson, maybe it's more than one, but what's the one lesson you've learned from your commitment to the presence of older workers in your workplace that you would share with your peers on this call today? I, I think it's the it's the word that I just used. We, we talk about wisdom and we talk about knowledge transfer. The thing that we the thing that we don't always focus on is is very specifically discernment. There is something that comes along with wisdom about how to navigate across um, people and challenges and what I always frame as like great grace and gratitude yes. <laughs> that comes from from having um, deep interaction and, and understanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, listening and experiencing what talent who have been um, in this industry for for a long time have have to offer um, mm -hmm. and really hoping that you know as we continue to move along we, that we that we really never never lose that um, and I think for every individual that we we are partnering with whether a person is looking at um, retirement or or shifting how are we really making those profiles in that existence more, more robust to include all of a person's skill sets, whether the ones that the organization has been leveraging to date or things that they want to, to learn um, and fostering that learning. So really keeping just an sort of open mind, heart, spirit in this, this space and, and really engaging at those deeper levels. Um, with with 20, close to 27,000 people in the US, nearly 100,000 people globally, um, it definitely is the need to make time, even outside of the BRG landscape, um, to have individual conversation and definitely keeping space on my calendar to, to hear from talent, individuals who reach out, whether it's because they're having a good experience or because they're, they're mm -hmm. not. That's where a lot of the insights come from, really that raw, organic conversation being so that, I think that's what been one of the, the, the biggest lessons. That data and insights and dashboards are, are amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah a true sentiment um, in a safe space goes a long way. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.